It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. There's an inside joke that Whitney and I have with each other that people who know me may share a similar perspective, and it's something that I don't know if I take pride in it, but I think it's funny when I reflect on it. And something that you've joked about over the years with me, Whitney, that I just, (laughs) I think it's just funny because it's probably only going to get worse as I get older, to be honest, is being grumpy. And I get grumpy a lot. I get grumpy a lot and I laugh because, you know, if I analyze my grumpiness, it's probably because the state of reality or what is, is not matching what I think it ought to be. Like, let's just like break down grumpiness for a second. It's usually something that I'm observing with life where I'm, I'm aware that I have a quote negative emotion, which I suppose on a macro level or making a sweeping generalization, you could probably compartmentalize grumpiness into a negative emotion. The reason I say this and the reason I I'm reflecting on it, laughing at it is, um, I had sort of a, what I call like an like a old man get off my lawn moment the other day. Not actually, because I don't have very much lawn here at my house in LA. It's mostly concrete. But it, the proverbial get off my lawn moment where I was scrolling through social media, which is probably just not a good idea to be aimlessly scrolling. But there I was aimlessly scrolling. And I had a moment <laughs> where I... I don't know. I was, I feel like I was just bombarded by a series of posts or stories that felt to me like they were some combination of spiritual bypassing meets toxic positivity. It was just this general energy of, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like this energy of kind of ignoring what's happening in the world and being in a very myopic, siloed reality, right? It was just like, there was like four posts in a row where this person's in Cancun, and this person's in Tulum, and this person's in Bali, and this person's on Kauai. And I'm seeing all of these people like in these lush, exotic, tropical locales, like, we're acting like nothing's happening, and there's no COVID, and there's no, you know, climate change isn't happening. And yeah, the Taliban didn't just take over Afghanistan. And like, everything's great. Everything's amazing. Look at my amazing life. (laughs) And I just, I literally said out loud as I'm washing the dishes, scrolling through social media. Yes, I do that. I have the ability to be washing a dish and watching social media. And I literally said out loud to myself, there's no one else around Whitney. I said, fuck your joy. Fuck your joy. Fuck you. Fuck your joy. And I I stopped myself and I was like, wow, I'm having a hostile reaction to someone's joy. That's wow. Whoa, what is going on with that? And I realized it was like, wait, wait, wait. Okay, am I envious that they're in Bali and Kauai and Tulum and like having this like wellness retreat adventure? Or is it that there's an energy, consistent energy with certain people where they seem to be completely disavowing the reality of what's happening in the world, and they're just living in a complete tunnel vision, like I said, siloed version of their reality, where like, I'm autonomous and free, and it doesn't matter what's happening because I'm here and I create my own reality. And COVID can't touch me, and let's not, climate change isn't really real, which is another interesting thing I've seen with, quote, wellness people. There's been an uptick in like, climate change is a sham. Like that's a whole nother conversation. I guess I'm saying all this, Whitney, because we had a suggestion from one of our friends and patrons, our Patreon supporters, Rye, who sent us a wonderful email with some really deep, compelling suggestions for topical matter. And he sent in an email and, and said, I want you guys to talk about toxic positivity. And he referenced some phrases, I suppose, that get parroted a lot, which is get over it, 
let it go, calm down, don't worry about it, be free. Don't be anxious about it, get over it. And in a way, yeah, th there's a lot of rhetoric like this that's out there in, I suppose, you know, the wellness community, the self-help community, the transformational community. I don't even know what to even call it anymore, but I think it's a great topic I want to dig into today, Whitney, because I'm certainly seeing versions of this that are out there, which is like, let's ignore what's happening and let's just connect to joy and happiness. And we don't really care what's happening because it can't touch us. There's just, a, it's a weird sort of response to what's happening in the world. And, and I want to say this, like, I have to laugh at my angered response to people like in their joy, but I don't think it's because they're in their joy. I think it's because of the mechanism they're using to psychologically compensate and distance themselves from the pain and the suffering and the violence that's happening in the world. I'm not to say that these people aren't feeling it, but the way that they're presenting it on social is like, whoa, I'm unpacking it in real time as we're discussing it, Whitney. I just wanted to lay the foundation for what we're discussing today, which is toxic positivity, spiritual bypassing, and people, quote, creating their own realities, independent of what's happening in the world, which is fascinating as hell to me. So I want to say first and foremost that before I pass the baton back to you, that's now my new catchphrase, passing the baton to Whitney, is I think it is important to find joy. I'm not anti-joy. I think it is important to find happiness and to find a connection to things that matter and nourish us in life. And that being said, our sponsor for our podcast right now is this wonderful online wellness platform that Whitney and I have both been connecting with. We actually had the founder of Embody Me. Their website is embodyme.live. And Amber Fortier was here on the podcast getting deep about her personal transformation, breaking away from a really oppressive childhood, some of the traumatic experiences that she had that led her to create this online wellness platform. And we've been loving it to get different perspectives on looking at our trauma, looking at our healing through EFT, through meditation, through mindfulness. There's a whole range of wonderful yoga classes and movement classes, empowerment classes if you're an entrepreneur or you want to start your own business. So we're giving a big shout out to Embody Me. And uh, we're going to talk more about what we've experienced on their platform and also let you know about a really cool offer as we go through this episode. If you want to dive in and experience, for me, I will characterize it as relief, Whitney. I feel like when I take a class, I don't necessarily go in, say, on this platform to search for joy or seek out happiness. What I'm looking for right now is relief. I feel so stressed and so much anxiety and depression right now with everything that's going on in the world that it's not like, I just want to be happy and joyful and disconnect. Like I want to feel connected to what's happening on the planet, but I also want a sense of relief because I know that if I'm too focused on it all the time, that's not healthy psychologically for me or physically. So shout out to Amber and Embody Me, their wonderful online wellness platform. We've been enjoying checking it out seeing what it has to offer, and we want to offer that to you, and we'll tell you more about it as we go through this episode. But I'm curious, Whitney, I know you and I have different creators in our feeds, different influencers in our social feeds. You see things I don't see and vice versa. But I'm curious if you have been observing over the course of the pandemic, over the course of what seems to be climate change accelerating and a lot of really massive global upheaval, have you been witnessing people that are engaging in this sort of bypassing toxic positivity? Everything's amazing. And if you have, what is your emotional response to observing things like that? How do you feel when you see people posting these bypassing type pieces of content? Well, it's been something on my mind today, the date that we're recording, which is August 16th. We're doing a bunch of episodes in advance. And I think it's important to mention the date because there, is a lot going on in the world <laughs> as a whole. But the biggest thing in the news right now is what's happening in Afghanistan. And there was something I was going to post today. And I paused and decided not to post it because I thought, I don't feel right taking the conversation away from what's happening in Afghanistan. I really feel it's important for our attention to be on that. And I don't even remember what I was going to share. I don't think it was like, gosh, I mean, 
I honestly, oh, I think, you know what it was? It was some lately on Instagram, I've been sharing some TikTok videos that I find on Instagram stories. And there was one really profound video talking about beauty standards for women. And I thought, wow, this would be a great share because I've been posting a lot of that recently on Instagram and it resonates with others. But I realized as much as I wanted to share that, it wasn't the most important thing. I want to support people who are interested in what's going on. And I also want to encourage people to raise the awareness because to your point, Jason, I think when you see a lot of people just kind of, quote, continuing on with their lives as if nothing else is going on, you might wonder, do they even really know what's going on? And it's a fascinating thing because number one, it, it's a practice for me to try to not make assumptions and judgments about what other people are doing, especially how they're posting. Because social media is just so confusing. I feel like as much as we have strategies and insight and many years of experience with social media, at the same time, it's changing rapidly. And a lot of people are posting what they think they, quote, should be posting. And not everybody stops to think about the meaning behind what they're posting. Some people are caught in old cycles of like, this is just what I post online. You know, like one thing I noticed today, Jason, to answer part of your question is someone I follow and know a little bit personally did a photo dump, which is just like on Instagram when you do a well, some people approach it this way, a carousel post, which allows you to do up to 10 photos. And I remember seeing it and thinking like, why are they sharing a photo dump? Like, so that they can show what they've been doing lately. And it was like a ton of photos of this person doing things with other people. And it was like, hey, look at what I've been doing in my life lately. And it's borderline like, is this person posting this to show other people that genuinely do care about what they're doing? Or are they doing this as a way to say like, hey, look how great my life is? Is it part of the validation element? Is it the part of like, is it inspirational or is it self-motivated, you know? And it was just like a passing thought for me because I don't resonate with that. And I've been really struggling on social media lately because it's I don't really know what to post And to your point, Jason, a lot of it doesn't really bring me that much joy. So I just don't post that much on social media. On my social media, I have two accounts right now that I alternate between. And one of them particularly, I I get stumped. I'm like, I have nothing that I want to share. So why would I share it? Certainly, I could take a selfie and post it. Certainly, I could like post all sorts of random things, what I'm eating, what I'm doing, you know, on and on. But what is the point of it? Like ultimately, deep down, what is the point? What would I really feel like would make a difference to me right now? That's like addressing some of these huge issues that the world is having. And there are a lot of them. There are plenty to choose from. Simultaneously, I've struggled to find my voice amongst a lot of these things because they're confusing. And, you know, having the podcast is is a great outlet because it's an exploration. I don't feel like I have to sit and edit the perfect caption or take the perfect photo and all that pressure that comes with social media. So where we're at right now is the sweet spot for me. And this is part of my sharing process. And observing other people that seem to be motivated by other things is interesting, but I'm not them. I don't know why they're doing it. They might not even know why they're doing it. I also think another element of this, Jason, is a coping mechanism. I mean, you're talking about getting relief and maybe for someone doing the things that they're doing on social is their form of getting relief. They're not thinking necessarily about the environmental consequences or they've thought about it. They weighed out the pros and cons and made a decision to do something that they thought was okay. I think many of us have been there. Maybe they think, that they're helpless against what's going on in Afghanistan. So like, should that prevent them from going out and finding joy in their life and posting about it on social media? Maybe they think the world needs more joy amongst all of the depressing news coming out. You know, clearly people have different perspectives on the pandemic and some people feel much more comfortable traveling and, 
doing things together and whatever choices they're making. And at this point, it's like, I might not agree with those choices, but they're adults. In most cases, they're adults on social media who have the freedom to do whatever they please, even if it might harm other people physically or mentally. And this is part of the reason too, Jason, that I years ago unfollowed a ton of people and that I barely use platforms like Instagram. I also think it's a reason that I'm very drawn to TikTok because for the most part on TikTok, I'm seeing strangers. TikTok's algorithm shows you, like if I had to guess, maybe 10% of the videos that I see are somebody that I'm following maybe even less. Like if I'm scrolling through the, you know, let's say maybe one out of 50 videos I see on TikTok is someone I follow. But most of the people I follow on TikTok, I don't even know them or I barely know them or I stumbled upon them and decided to follow them, right? The other thing I really like about TikTok is the algorithm works really quickly to understand what you like. So for example, today I've been consciously liking any videos I see about what's happening in Afghanistan because I know that the more I interact with that content, the more I'm going to see and the more I can stay in the loop. And I get a lot of my information from TikTok right now because there's major news outlets on there and there's incredible people who have basically created their own news outlets and do reporting on all sorts of things. And there's doctors talking about COVID and scientists and like really brilliant people on TikTok, which I think is important to disclose because certainly you'll get the average person's opinion that is based on whatever data that they're collecting in their life. But there are a lot of qualified people on there sharing. And I can get a summary of what's happening on the news from a bunch of different news networks within a short TikTok video. So that's typically where I spend my time. So I bring this up because I spend less time on Instagram and Facebook and those other platforms because I don't feel like they work as well for the experience that I want. What I mainly see on Instagram is a bunch of people posting about their joy in the way that you're describing, Jason, and it might not resonate with me. But what I mostly see on TikTok is people talking about current events and experts sharing data about what's going on and real-time information that is very slow to hit the other platforms, similar to Twitter in a lot of ways, right? So I spend most time, most of my time on Twitter and TikTok. I curate those experiences to what I want. And thus, Jason, I don't get as frustrated as I used to being on platforms like Instagram that are just people's highlight reels. And I don't need to be exposed to, you know, whatever behavior somebody is doing just to kind of get external validation. Certainly that will happen on Twitter and TikTok too, but it's different in a lot of different ways. So long-winded answer about my experience on social right now and how I react. The other thing that I'll do on various platforms, including Instagram and TikTok, is if I see content that doesn't resonate with me, I either don't interact with it because that's how the algorithm works, or and or you can mute certain content or mark it as you're not interested in it and the platforms will show it to you less. So When I'm on Instagram, for example, if I see people posting things that I'm not into, I may or may not unfollow them, but I will very likely mute them. And so they won't show up in my feed and I can live in ignorant bliss about what they're doing in their life. Like I just don't have to see it because it's not my place to tell them what to do. I don't believe like let them live their lives, make the choices they're going to make. What I can do is curate my feed and I can post the content that I think is important. So another reason I like Twitter is you can go on Twitter. I share articles on Twitter. I retweet things. I interact. I I use Twitter as a way to contribute to the conversation. And that feels simpler than a lot of the other platforms. And then I'll share content on Instagram stories that resonates with me. Like today, I shared something related to Afghanistan, and it was very action-oriented. And it was like, hey, hopefully anybody that's looking for this is going to find it and or might feel inspired to look into it more. That's where I'm at, you know? And I think this ties into the toxic positivity conversation because I think a large part of it is our perception of what we believe to be toxic. And positivity is clearly not always going to make you feel positive, (laughs) depending on how you're 
perceiving it. Yeah, the issue that I have observed over the years with it is not just social media. It seems to be a whole mindset of t-shirts that say like high vibes only or don't quash my vibe. And sort of this mutated version of what I think a lot of you know, transformational speakers and coaches and authors have been preaching for years, which is like, I don't know, Whitney, I, I feel confused by a lot of it, but I also know that when I see something that doesn't resonate with me or something that just feels off, I have to ask myself, why does it feel off? And I think for myself also getting sucked into that, it was for me in my own experience with spiritual bypassing and toxic positivity I didn't have the willingness, let me say this, I didn't have the awareness or the willingness or the courage yet to face some of the more painful, darker things in my past and my childhood and my life. And I didn't know it at the time, but it was kind of like, if I'm just around, you know, spiritual people and I'm going to yoga festivals and high vibes only and, you know, just beating that drum constantly then somehow if I just through osmosis surround myself with that energy and those vibrations and those classes and those people and those teachers and those gurus and those books, you know, if I give myself some compassion and also extend that compassion to some of the people I'm, you know, taking to task here, it's that maybe some of them aren't yet ready or willing or even aware to tackle some of the deeper shit. I don't know. I can't speak for them, but I think what it triggers in me is probably looking at my younger self and going, oh, you used to do a lot of those same things. That's probably why I get triggered by it. It's not that I want or expect people to be mired in sadness and despondency and hopelessness and, oh my God, what are we going to do with the world? It's just sort of this leftover thing from the spiritual community that I experienced for so many years that's clearly still going of just like, I don't know. It, it just feels like if we only focus on the positive, then we're never going to consider the deeper implications of our own suffering and the suffering of others. You know, I had a couple of friends who were married years ago, and one of the challenges in their marriage was when when the woman in the marriage, the wife, wanted to, say, go to counseling or get to the deeper issues in her marriage with these two friends of mine. The husband in the marriage was like, no, 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 it's, it's not high vibe. It's not high vibe. We No, going to counseling, high vibes only. Like, I'm not going to talk about this. I don't want to talk about it. So I think that the danger in this is people using trips and festivals and, and all of these things to not necessarily look at the more challenging, more painful parts of their existence. That's where I take umbrage with it. That's the issue that I have with it. And why? Because I did the same shit. So when I see other people or get a hit that that's what they're doing, I'm like, it, well, on the one hand, it's like it's part of their journey. We're all on our own journey, and I honor that. But it just feels to me, I don't know. I just question if people are ignoring what's happening in the world, Whitney, and they're just like, and that's their right. It's each person's right to ignore or give attention to whatever they want. And maybe I'm giving too much attention to the negative stuff. That could also be a part of this is that maybe I'm dwelling too much in the despair. And when I see people who aren't in despair, I'm like, why aren't you in despair like me? <laughs> maybe that's a part of it too. I'm just taking ownership of that. To me, I, I think the issue that I have and, and the problem with all this is where it gets into some of the more systemic issues, Whitney, of, and we've talked about this in previous episodes of the financial gaslighting episode, where people's attitude toward problems in life are like, well, just make more money. Start a side hustle. Think more positively. Do this. You need to surround yourself with more positive people and more successful people, and then you'll be more successful and positive. That's the kind of toxic positivity I want to address from Rai's suggestion, is where people have these seemingly pedantic answers of just like, just do this thing, and that'll help you, and you'll feel better, because that's what I did. That's where I take people to task, with their overly simplistic answers to how we can improve our lives. Like it's that easy. And people like, it is that easy, Jason. You're just not thinking right. Okay, sure. <laughs> One thing that comes up in listening to your frustrations with this is that I think a lot of people don't really know why they're doing things. 
we have a tendency, and I think it's just the way the human brain works, is we look to others, for example. And when we see other people doing something that looks good to us, we may try to model ourselves after their behavior. And this is definitely true on social media. And it's true within our social circles. It's true within our work environments that a lot of people will just do what they're told or follow other people as a model and not necessarily think for themselves. And I I think a lot of what you're describing, Jason, in these reactions is maybe other people are just justifying their behavior because others are doing it too. And a lot of these posts that you're sharing, like this becomes part of the language and the the conversation is to just repeat these things to each other and post them. It's like quotes being overused. And a great example is like when somebody uses a quote and doesn't fully understand the meaning or they attribute it to the wrong person because they saw plenty of other people attributing it to a specific person like Martin Luther King, for example, they just assume, well, of course, Martin Luther King said this. This is actually, I think, a huge issue with with misinformation. If we don't cross-reference where we're getting our information from, it can be incredibly dangerous because it has a ripple effect. And that's why I think over time, I've become a bit more cautious. I'll admit when I don't fully know something or I try to, and I also try to find some data on it. But I also know deep down, it takes a lot of research to find the truth or as close to the truth as you can get. And I don't think a lot of people want to even waste their time doing that. They're like, well, so-and-so said this, and a few other people said this, it must be true, so I'm going to post it too, or this sounds right to me, this hits my intuition, this makes sense to me. But as you said, Jason, there have been plenty of times in our lives where you and I have said things that we've heard other people say, and it felt right to us at the time, and then later on in our life, we're like, you know, like I look back on a lot of different things (laughs) that I've said and done, and I'm like, well, It made sense to me at the time, but it no longer does. And I learned differently. And that's very humbling. And it reminds me that most of us don't really know what we're talking about. And we we've kind of we're in this information overload where we have too much information. It's really hard to sort through. So our brain is looking for the shortcuts. Like what's the quickest way to make up our minds on something? Well, I'll just like pick from a few people I trust. I've actually found this really fascinating with the vaccine conversation because lately I've spoken to a number of a friend or a few of my friends that haven't been vaccinated. And I've approached it as just pure curiosity about why they've chosen not to be vaccinated because most of my friends I perceive to be very intelligent and thoughtful. And they all have different reasons for not getting the vaccine. And they've thought through it and they've spoken to friends and they have all these different and I'm like wow okay like how about instead of me getting on taking sides on an issue like this why don't I just do what I think is best for me make the best decision I possibly can and after I've made it be open to listening to people who have currently made different decisions than me just to learn and just use it as an opportunity to be like yep they're different than me that feels more progressive than kind of this black and white thinking about what's good or bad, right or wrong, positive, negative. You know, I think all of that can be toxic. All of our judgments and assumptions and like anger and resentment towards others, that's like where the toxic elements are. Like instead, I just find like I can listen to somebody and I don't need to voice my opinion back to them. And then I can move on. And if I don't like it, I can move on through social media. If it's a friend of mine, I can listen to them. And I don't really have to say anything else after I listen. And then we can move on to another conversation where perhaps we agree on, you know, like that's where I'm at right now with a lot of this. Something else I found interesting when I looked up, speaking of research on um, toxic positivity, I use a, a tool 
called Liner, which I have mixed feelings about it, but it's really neat for highlighting articles. So for anyone wondering how I do my research, I will go on Google and type in a phrase. I'll go to the news section. I'll check the dates on it. I'll organize it. And then I'll pull up a number of articles from different sources, including sources that I trust, and read about different perspectives on things. And this article came from the BBC. It's called Tragic Optimism, the Antidote to Toxic Positivity. So I will link to this article in our show notes along with anything else that we reference here today on our website at wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. The article is a summary of what it means to be optimistic or have toxic positivity. And they said this unrelenting optimism known as toxic positivity paints negative emotions as failures or weaknesses. And this is what we've spoken on before in some other episodes, which I think is an important distinction. It's again, like that's where the judgment comes in. Like, who am I to say that somebody can't feel negative about something? Like trying to convince someone to not feel something is so manipulative, in my opinion. Failing to acknowledge hardships can have a detrimental effect on our mental health. Persistent reminders to reflect on how good we have it in the midst of strife and struggle don't make sadness, fear, or anxiety dissipate, according to research. Instead, suppressing negative emotions can actually make us feel worse, One thing I like about this BBC article is they link to studies and other articles so that you can see how they put this article together. By contrast, another mindset approach boosts a more realistic framing. Tragic optimism posits that there is hope and meaning to be found in life while also acknowledging the existence of loss, pain, and suffering. They reference Viktor Frankl, which we've referenced in at least one episode before, who was a proponent or is a proponent. Is he still alive? I don't remember if he's still alive. I do not know. I think he might be. But regardless of not knowing that fact off the top of my head, he's a proponent of tragic optimism, which maintains that there's a space to experience both the good and the bad and that we can grow from each. Now, Viktor Frankl is an example that a lot of people point to because he He's a Holocaust survivor who wrote a book on this and uh, is a psychologist as well. And one of the keys here is maintaining hope. And this is something I've been reflecting a lot on, Jason, during the climate change conversation is it's like, okay, things feel bad, but somehow I've been able to maintain hope. And sometimes I wonder, like, hmm, should I be hopeful? (laughs) Like, it feels good for me to be hopeful, but is there truly hope? That remains to be seen. But I wonder, does it serve me and my mental health or other people that I'm interacting with? Does it serve us to feel hopeless? Because let's say we die some tragic death through any of these catastrophes happening in the world right now. Would it serve me to be hopeless up until that moment of my death or would it serve me more to remain hopeful to pass that on to others? This article also points to research that has found that participants in studies showed tragic optimism helped them cope more effectively with the trauma of the pandemic. And I think that's really important too. So speaking of coping mechanisms, Maybe that optimism is the key to us getting through these things. The article ends with something that is great for our podcast. Uh, A psychologist named Paul Wong said, the road to transformation may be uncomfortable because life currently isn't easy. It's okay to be lonely. It's okay to feel bad. It's okay to feel anxious. Welcome to Human Club. And then the article closes by saying, embracing tragic optimism means making a daily effort to feel comfortable with loneliness or anxiety. I've never heard that phrase before. I think it's really poignant and really resonant for me. I had a moment the other day where I was talking to my girlfriend, Laura, and and my mom, my mentor, Michael, and 
I expressed to all of them, and I've expressed this to you, I've expressed it on the podcast, this this overwhelming sadness and feeling of hopelessness that seems to be present on a daily basis for me. And my girlfriend, Laura, pointed out something. She said, I don't believe you. I said, what do you mean? She said, I don't believe you're actually hopeless. I said, oh, okay. And, and you know, my defensive reaction, Whitney, you know, immediately was like, you can't tell me how I feel. I know how I feel. You don't know. But I quelled that a little bit because I wanted to be respectful and hear what she had to say. She said, if you were totally hopeless, I know you. You wouldn't recycle. You wouldn't be cleaning out your sauce jars. You wouldn't be, you know, looking at getting, you know, an electric car and, and you know, moving off grid and wanting to save animals. She's like, if you were totally hopeless, you wouldn't be saving animals and feeding the animals on your property. You wouldn't be recycling. You wouldn't be doing the, you'd go out, you, you'd stop being vegan. And, you know, I sat with it and I thought, she's got a point. There's something in me that feels like I'm hopeless, right? Like I convince myself of that story, but my actions actually point to something deeper. Because if I was truly hopeless, to her point, it resonated with me, I would just probably throw my hands up and say, fuck it, I don't care anymore. And just be kind of in this anarchistic state where I'm not putting any efforts towards the things that I think in my heart, at least, are making a difference. I believe they're making a difference. So that was actually an interesting point of reflection in terms of this feeling of of hopelessness and how that relates to this framework of tragic optimism, that maybe we can be containers for all of it, that I can feel sad, I can feel despondent, I can feel a sense of despair, but still eat in a way that I think is positive for the earth and the climate, rescue animals, be kind to people, recycle try and be more eco-friendly, try and be more conscious about how my actions affect others. Because I think, yeah, if I was totally hopeless, Whitney, I wouldn't do any of those things. So I don't know if that's if that's helpful for anyone listening who might feel hopeless, but it was helpful for me. Another thing that's interesting on that note, Jason, is and thinking about like the roots and the reasons why people might resort to toxic positivity. There's an article in the Washington Post that came out last year about this. And they were looking at like, where are the origins of this label of toxic positivity? And a a professor of psychology said that the idea is rooted in American culture, which values positivity. And it's an attractive behavior that makes people seem more well-adapted and more popular with their peers. So there are a lot of reasons people want to seem or be positive. And so that's why I think we're seeing that so much in social media. I mean, social media is very much driven by this popularity contest. So people want to get followers and they think, well, I'm just going to be super positive and make people feel good and they're going to want to follow me, which makes sense, right? But then, you know, you also have the people that are are very much about like their vulnerabilities. But even then, that could be spun in a direction of positivity, right? It's like, I'm unhappy with my life. I'm being vulnerable about the fact that I'm unhappy. But I'm working on it and I'm bracing it and I'm being strong. So that in itself, there's still positivity in there. I'm I'm brave enough to share this with you and that's a positive thing. So is it some psychological manipulation that we're doing to try to get people to like us more? One other point in this article that I feel like you would appreciate, Jason, about like a metaphor for toxic positivity is it's like trying to shove ice cream into somebody's face when they don't feel like having ice cream. It's not going to make them feel better. You know, it's like. (laughs) That's amazing, by the way. I also feel like, you know, when you started off this conversation, Jason, you seem to be very focused on like what you were observing other people were doing and how that was irritating you. And I don't know if this all fully applies, though, because it's like when somebody posts on social or a friend of yours even privately tells you about like what's going on, are they doing that to like get your validation, to make you feel better, to make you feel guilty, to make you feel not enough? Like that's what I'm saying is like, I don't know how much people even think these things through. I do think if it's if it's between friends, it's usually rooted in connection. And, and like 
trying to help someone or trying to like make them feel good. You know, of course, many of us have experienced somebody saying something to us that they intended to make us feel good. You know, like an example I keep coming back to lately is how I felt when people have commented on my appearance and how it doesn't always give me the feeling that I think that they want. Like, oh, you look really good. Because it's just like, well, A, I don't, I don't really want you to focus on my appearance because that's not where my value is. B, like it does that compliment just doesn't feel deep to me. And C, like, are you saying that I didn't look better in the past? Or like, why do you need to compare me to myself, my previous self, your perception of me? Like, it's just kind of a weird thing. So, you know, another example is when you comment on somebody's weight, having struggled with my weight a lot, I know, and I've learned through hearing with others. And I've made this mistake myself. Like I now have to bite my tongue. I actually did it the other day. I noticed that one of my friend's weight was different and I wasn't going to say anything to this friend, but I almost said something to a friend of a friend like, oh, did you notice so-and-so? And then I was like, why the heck do I need to comment on this person's weight? You know, it doesn't, wouldn't make me feel good to know my friends were talking about my weight. And why do we need to talk about that? But it's like, why do we say that to other people? Like if we're complimenting them, I think we're we're hoping we're going to make someone feel good by pointing out what we think of their appearance, but it really doesn't make most of us feel that good deep down, not for long at least. And B, the gossip that we have is ultimately just a desire to connect with one one another. So now I'm like, how can I connect on a deeper level? I don't need to connect on a superficial gossip level. And when I recognize that, it helped me shift out of it because I can put my efforts into something that truly is positive, not toxic positivity. Does that make sense? It's tough. I mean, what we're talking about is deeply conditioned behavior is really what we're talking about, Whitney. And and you alluded to that a few minutes ago, and I think it was brilliant, is we get into these sub-segments or these groups, communities, where we see certain behaviors, terminologies, languaging, posturing, tenets, mantras, and we look around and say, oh, it's working for all these people. And they're in positions of either authority or abundance or social status that I perceive as greater or above mine. So I'm going to kind of look at, you know, the alphas in the group and see how they're conducting their lives and model their behavior, which we see parroted a lot in a lot of different. I mean, if you look at the idea of having a guru, which I'm neither for nor against, it's your own personal choice, religion, capitalism, business, is there seems to be a rhetoric of you find someone who's, quote, further along, more advanced, more evolved. And it's very tempting to emulate them, isn't it? I mean, to look, we talked about this in many, many different episodes of looking at someone's life path or their roadmap or how they structured their business or, you know, a popular thing the past few years that I've continued to see is articles about the daily routines of billionaires, how the most successful people run their entire day. You know, it's like, oh, well, oh, if I want to be a success, I need to wake up at 5.15 in the morning and and eat this food and do this practice and, you know, buy this thing. And it's an obsession, I think, that we have as humans for belonging, for security, for safety, for acknowledgement. I mean, if you look at our motivations as human beings, they haven't really changed that much over the development of Homo sapiens. I mean, we're still... We still want safety, belonging, acknowledgement, community. We're terrified of being cast out into the forest alone, proverbially speaking. We're terrified of not being included, not being acknowledged, not being loved. We're fucking terrified of it. And anyone who claims they're above it, more power to you. More power to you. But I think that we collectively, the near 8 billion people on the planet, are still subjugated to these deeply, deeply held fears that have been running us for thousands of years. So the compassion comes in there, I think, Whitney. You know, we we talk about awareness and we talk about belonging. And you mentioned earlier, you know, this idea of people posting their vulnerabilities online and whether that's authentic or if that's truly positive. It's a journey, right? And I think what I want right now 
with the people I want to surround myself with or the teachers I want to be around is on a level of, what is the word? I don't want to use the word authenticity. There's a different word I want to use. It's almost like a gut. How do I describe this? And maybe you can help me with this because I'd love your feedback on this. It's when you're around someone and you're just like, this motherfucker is real. Like it's like a gut feeling of you believe what this person is saying to you. It just, it hits you in a way, right? And I think for me over the years, if I look at the people that I hung out with 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, the people I used to date, the friends I had, do I have some of them in my life? Yes. And the question is, why do I have some of them still in my life? It's because I think that there's a certain journey that I have taken and the people in my life have taken, and I've certainly moved apart from people. You've certainly had this experience, Whitney, right? Where you have people you're super close to and you're not super close to anymore. I'm kind of getting super tangential at this point, but I think if I if I distill it, it's like the people I'm closest to in my life have sort of a desire, curiosity, and commitment to growth and awareness and finding out who the hell they actually are. They're not just like, well, I found out who I was and this is it. I'm done, which there are some people who believe that in life. That's fine. I don't believe we're ever done knowing who we are. I don't believe that process has an endpoint. And I think the people I want to surround myself with, the people that I deeply love, have a similar philosophy. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it. I think the other key here, Jason, is that, as we've said in some recent episodes, that the world is rapidly changing. But as human beings, a lot of us don't ad- adapt to change very quickly. I just pulled up some articles because I was trying to like see some of the data behind this. And, and one of the terms I, I came across is herd mentality. And the instinct or the typical behavior of humans to follow the crowd, the in crowd. And this is one of the reasons that social media, again, has made such an impact and influencers are such a huge part of marketing right now as people know that if someone can is good at convincing others or being a leader, then they can help people make decisions, especially when it comes to their buying behavior, right? And this is part of the reason that I sometimes feel ethically uncomfortable with the term influencer and working with certain brands because I I feel almost like they're using me to like be the Pied Piper or something. And that's not where my true value is. My superpower is honestly questioning things. Like I've recognized that over time because of this, like the fact that I don't automatically do things, I question them and I reflect on them and observe and research and I take my time deciding whether I'm going to do something I believe is a strength. And I would rather encourage other people to question things and try to tell people like, just do what I say, just do what I do. Just trust me on this. You know, that's not to say that I don't enjoy giving recommendations. And I certainly do that on other podcasts. This hits the spot. And I do that on my social from time to time, you know, because I also know people like, like to know what conclusions I've come to through my research. Right. So I think it's finding that balance. But my hope is that when I encourage somebody to do something that they also think for themselves and they don't have this knee-jerk reaction of like, oh, Whitney said that this is great. I'm just going to buy it. It's like, I love it when someone says, hey, I looked into it and realized that wasn't for me. Or, hey, I looked into it and I decided to get something else. And then my question is like, what did you decide to get? Because I'm curious, like, how did you come to that decision? And I'm finding, Jason, that there's a lot of studies done around like how much people tend to copy each other how we don't respond that effectively to changing environments. And I wonder if that's why we're where we're at with climate change right now, is we don't have enough influence to make that change because the change is happening and people haven't adapted quickly enough. Change is happening with the pandemic. Is that is that why it's been such a struggle for people to make changes in their life? Because even though it's been a year and a half at this point, it's still pretty rapid change that we've gone through and has also been a lot of trauma. So all the, I feel like the pandemic is such a great example of this behavior because many of us have been looking to others to try to figure things out. 
but most of the people we're looking to are looking to someone else. And so like, are we just going in circles, looking at each other, trying to decide what to do versus like stepping back and thinking like, hmm, what is really in my best interest and other people's best interest? And how can I back it up beyond like what my neighbor says, beyond what my best friend said or my family members say? And what's interesting too, Jason, is being a questioner, as I've explained in many episodes, I've experienced a lot of people that get frustrated with me asking questions. And I feel like just now in my life that I'm beginning to find more courage in asking questions, despite the fact that it irritates people. Like that's the risk. I And I think this is probably why some people fall into the herd mentality of the status quo is it's not easy to veer off. It's not always easy to pave your own path. I think that's, it, it feels much easier to just like look at what the biggest group is doing and go with it. And paving your own path is not always going to be the best option for you. It's very risky. It can lead you in a way where you get too far away from the crowd and suddenly you're all on your own fending for yourself. And that's not great either. So it's a tricky process. But for someone like me, like that's how I am. Like I'm, I'm just a questioner. Like I've always questioned. I enjoy questioning. I find comfort in questioning and it helps me make informed decisions. And I feel empowered to do that because it helps me adapt to change really quickly. And then it also helps me help others. So I'm okay with taking the risks and I'm okay with being different. I'm finding more courage in that. And I encourage other people that if they want to question things, that that can actually be a great thing, a very healthy thing, a very positive thing. And including questioning when somebody says, don't worry about it, or, you know, here's my recommendation, do what I say, like question those things and really examine it to decide if that's the right avenue for you. And if you want to feel something that other people are telling you not to feel, then maybe you should just feel it because that's your intuition. You know, like you're saying, Jason, when you get that intuitive hit that something doesn't feel good or something somebody said or did doesn't feel good, you're probably going in a good direction. You could benefit from questioning your feelings and examining them because our feelings aren't always based in reality. But I think questioning is incredibly important. So even if you're not a questioner like me, (laughs) you can practice doing your questioning whenever you feel the instinct to just do what other people are doing. Take a little bit of time. And if that feels uncomfortable for you, it it can take some practice or come to someone like me that's great at questioning because we can support you in the questioning process. I'd be curious, Jason, for you being a rebellious person, you probably find it semi-easy to go against the grain, go against the herd mentality. But I... I also feel like you get overwhelmed with questioning and research. So like, can you share when you feel overwhelmed and you don't know how to make a decision? Sometimes I I see you like kind of shut down, like you can't, you just can't deal with it. How do you handle that when like you want to rebel against something and you don't fully know if it's the best decision for you? Like what's your process with dealing with a change, for example, or handling your overwhelm through the process of making a decision. I want to respond to that by saying, it's not that I want to rebel. I don't think that that's accurate. I think that that my rebelliousness that I've had my entire life, even as a very young child, was born out of, at least what I think, I don't know if this is accurate, but my observation of myself, okay, is when I would start to look at, this ties into some observational research, okay? I would look and I would observe, even as a young child, of certain behaviors, tendencies that people would have, and then I would observe the results of those things, and then make the conclusion, fallacious as it may be in some circumstances, of if people are doing X and Y, and that equals Z, and Z looks awful, I sure as fuck don't want to do X and Y because Z looks horrible. It was almost like my rebelliousness is based in logic. There is an intuition. There's an emotional component. But if I get into the mechanics of it, Whitney, it is there, there's a part of logic and observation that is a part of it. And I think for me in the process of gathering information, 
when I get overwhelmed, it is a signal for me to detach completely and go be by myself. Because what I'm experiencing right now in the world is looking at the research and the data on COVID, the pandemic, climate change, Bitcoin, inflation, economics. To your point, we could insert so many challenging, confounding, difficult situations humanity is facing. There's no shortage of them. But when I start to feel bombarded and overwhelmed, it is time for me to shut off the computer, shut off the phone, and go be by myself so I can get some space, like literal mental space. So to me, overwhelm is an alarm internally that tells me I need to go and meditate. I need solitude. I need to sit with myself and make a decision. And going back to the rebelliousness, knowing that what not every single decision, there are decisions we can't take back, but many decisions in life, we can make a new decision. It's not a final thing. There are some things we can't take back. They are final. But I would say many, many things, we can always make a new decision that I don't know if it nullifies or counteracts the original decision, but you know what I mean? It, it, most things aren't a brick wall where it's like, that's it. You made your decision. You're done. There are some things in life like that, but many things we can make a new one. I think the rebelliousness comes back with is when I, when I make a decision, there's a certain energy of me that I've got, that has gotten stronger over the years as I've gotten older of like, well, I know I'm kind of going to be damned if I do and damned if I don't like if I make this decision, I know there's going to be people in my life who approve of it and people who don't. And when I say people, I mean people close to me in my life. But if I make the decision to announce anything on social media, there sure as hell is going to be a litany of people who are like, yeah, Jason, we support you. Jason, you're a fucking maniac. The point is, is like, I think ultimately, if we take ownership of our decisions, it's like, I'm the, you know, I'm the one who has to face the repercussions of those decisions in life. Will they have a ripple effect that other people feel? Yeah, we don't live in a vacuum. It goes back to that siloed reality. I know that my decisions have a ripple effect. That's another consideration that I take in. It's not like I'm going to do something and it just only affects Jason. Like we are in an interdependent reality, I believe. But my long answer is Whitney, I, I, I do try and employ some logic in that decision-making. It's not just like, I want to rebel against everything. Fuck everyone. It's not, it's not like that at all. And I'm not looking to rebel. That's not like what motivates me. I think it's just part of the fabric of my decision-making, if that makes sense. It does. And thank you for sharing that because it's interesting to hear how other people process information and make decisions and tune into themselves because I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we have right now. And actually, I'm glad that you brought that up because it ties into why we love Embody Me, who's the sponsor of this episode and the recent group of episodes here. I was looking at their schedule and I know that one of the classes that excited you, Jason, is, is about planning your week with intention. So that is a combination of meditation and journaling and writing things down. And those two combined are incredibly powerful, but also separate are amazing. I find that if I can just sit down and write and think and like tune out other people and tune into myself, it is like the best way to make decisions, to get clarity. And I think social media has made it really challenging for us to do that these days. So if you can set the time aside for yourself, that can be incredibly powerful. You can also use yoga as an avenue for this. And on Embody Me, they have a vinyasa flow for intuition class. And we've talked many times on the show about like the issues in your tissues and like really working things through and how powerful movement is. And wow, can I attest to that? I mean, movement for me has been an ongoing journey. I like to have a lot of variety, but I have come back to yoga over and over again. I started practicing yoga, I think in 2008 or 2006, maybe. It's been a long time. And I've done, you know, sometimes I go away from yoga and then I'll come back to it. it and I think the reason is because it really helps me slow down and tap in. It feels meditative. It feels strengthening. It's great for stretching. And it's rooted in our intuition. It's rooted in our sense of self and our self-awareness too. Actually, that's one of the best part about yoga for me 
is how it helps me tap into who I am and how I'm feeling emotionally and physically. So to conclude this episode and to also bring it back to our sponsor, check out the schedule. You can actually do this without even signing up for Embody Me yet. If you go to embodyme.live and click on their schedule, uh, the class schedule at the top uh, menu bar, you'll see a list of these and you can choose which class you want to take because we're giving you seven free days to try it out. So it If you're like me, you will plan out your schedule for the whole week so that you can maximize that free trial. And then assuming you enjoy it as much as we're expecting you to, you can get 20% off your first full month, which is really awesome. So if you use the code WELLEVATOR, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com, when you sign up at embodyme.live, you'll get that free week. And then you'll get 20% off, which is awesome. And we encourage you to tap in. If you're feeling stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, out of alignment with yourself, and you want to connect with a positive community and great teachers, like this is such an amazing space. And I'm, I'm so glad that the timing worked out with the sponsorship, Jason, because it ties into so much. I spoke about in a previous episode how just like five or 10 minutes of the face yoga class that I took was transformative for me. Part of that was because of the breathing practice, which is something else they do a lot on Embody Me. And just like deep breathing is amazing. So another piece of advice, if you feel overwhelmed by a class, even a short one, like 20 or 30 minutes, I cannot recommend enough just starting and doing as much as you feel like and you will notice a difference. I can almost guarantee you will notice a difference within a few minutes if you give it your all. If you just sit down and follow the instructions, there's a calming impact that these classes have. So I can't wait for you to try them. And again, embodyme.live, use the code WELLEVATOR, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. And speaking of WELLEVATOR, if you go to wellevator.com, you will find links to everything, including Embody Me, including the articles that we've referenced, including links to other episodes that we've referenced because we've done close to 300 episodes, which is kind of nuts. And I wanted to remind you that we are cutting back to two episodes a week temporarily. We're experimenting with it. We'd love your feedback. We'd love hearing from you in general. We want to hear your thoughts and opinions, even if they differ from us. We want to hear what you're discovering and who you are. Just like Rye, who inspired this episode, emails from you, direct messages from you are amazing. And speaking of which, Jason, I don't know if you saw this, but earlier today, we got a comment on our Patreon from one of our supporters named April. She just left the sweetest comment and was was talking about one of our episodes of This Hits the Spot, which is a perk that we give to our patrons and email subscribers. And just hearing from April and her reaction to our video lit me up. It gave me a lot of joy and it helped me feel more connected to her. So that was like the positivity that I like to see in experience. So I really encourage you, the listener, if you haven't ever reached out to us, we'd love to hear from you. We want to get to know you. We want to hear about who you are, what you do, what you think, your questions, all of it. If you want to connect with us deeper, email us. You can sign up for the newsletter, which you can just click reply. Sometimes people do that, and that's awesome too, responding to our weekly newsletter that comes out every Friday. We'd love to hear if you try out embodyme.live. We just want to know what class did you take and what did you think of it? And if you want to get some added perks from us, sign up for Patreon for little as $2 a month. You get to support this show. You get to support This Hits the Spot. You get some special perks from us there. And it's another way to connect with us. So we give you a lot of options here. We care about you. We appreciate you. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with another episode this coming Friday. We've got an amazing lineup of guests. I'm so excited about it, Jason. Honestly, like I'm I'm blown away by the people that come on this show. So that's it for today. Any final words, Jason? I actually feel better after doing this episode. It's nice to observe that within myself. I came in all grumple gremlin, get off my lawn and full of piss and vinegar, and I actually feel better. So thank you, Whitney. And, you know, it's interesting. We do this podcast because we wanted to 
create an avenue, a vehicle, if you will, for talking about mental health, emotional wellness, being just real about our experience in life and the things we're passionate and curious about. But it's also been interesting to observe over the course of nearly 300 episodes that this has been also a a vehicle for self-exploration, and I've learned more about who I am through this. It's been beautiful to observe. So thank you, Whitney. And thank you, dear listener, for your support, your love, and your patronage of This Might Get Uncomfortable. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 